Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. stand for the reading of God's word. Let's turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and we're going to read the first verse. This is the word of the Lord. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless us as we think upon your word. Father, that you would move our minds off of all the concerns and cares that we have and place them on heavenly things, on what is above, on truth, on what is good, beautiful. And so, Father, may your spirit be stirring us up to hear uh, these words and to uh, hearing them uh, put them into practice. Lord, help us as we, as I preach your word and anoint my mouth and every one of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So between chapter 12... Hey guys, it's good to see you. I was going to say something else that occurred to me too. The Howards. The, we have one more Sunday with you next Sunday. I'm not talking to you anymore. I don't like goodbyes. And so I'm just going to go crawl under a rock. Right? Which you probably understand but just make sure you give the Howards your love as they, uh, they head back to Kentucky in a couple weeks. But... All right, anyway, chapter 12 of John to chapter 13 is a major pivot in the book. Chapter 12 and what precedes it is Jesus working publicly, preaching among the Israelites, being essentially rejected by all of the people as he preached and performed miracles and the Pharisees resisting him and wanting to kill him. And so all of that work in the Gospel of John takes place in the first 12 chapters. And then at 13, it shifts toward Jesus speaking with his inner circle. So 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 are all Jesus with his, it's those 13 men together getting their sort of marching orders, getting their last bit of encouragement, Jesus loving them uh, this last time. And, and remember that this chapter begins the afternoon or evening of the Thursday and he would be killed the morning of Friday. So we're seeing his last evening, right, alive. His last evening alive, he spends with his men, uh, encouraging them. And so uh, 
that, that is a huge shift. The other Gospels are not laid out like this. We don't get this, this uh, intimate exchange between Jesus and his apostles and the other Gospels. It's here in John. And it's wonderful, right? So, I mean, we hear nothing of the arrangements for the use of the upper room in John's Gospel. It's just we're suddenly in the upper room. Right? In the other Gospels, you read about, you know, go here and, and do this, and there'll be a room prepared. Here, we're just chapter 13, we're in the room. We're there to, to hear the eternal Son of God's final words to his apostles. So again, it's Thursday afternoon or evening. And that's when chapters 13 through 17 take place. In chapter 18, he is arrested. That's in the cover of darkness, right? That's Thursday night at some point. And then chapter 18 of John, the Sanhedrin is convened. Peter betrays Jesus. And then Jesus is taken from authority to authority to authority. He's trotted around Thursday, late Friday morning, I mean early Friday morning into uh, when the sun comes up. He goes before Annas, who's sort of a deposed high priest. He goes before Caiaphas, who is the high priest. Then he goes before Pilate, and Pilate's like, okay, you need to go before Herod. And then Herod's like, okay, send him back to Pilate. And he goes back to Pilate, and then by 9 a.m., he's hanging from a tree. He's hanging from a tree, and the world is about to go dark as the Son of God is being crucified by the hands of wicked men. So for now, we return to the upper room, and we'll camp out here for a while. Who knows how long it will take us to go through five chapters of John. And what I want to do this week is sort of a... a, a broad overview of these, these chapters, sort of a 10,000 feet up sort of view. Uh, Jesus is with the men who would go about the world preaching Christ and him crucified. These are the men that would carry on doing what he had been doing in Israel and being rejected for. These are the men who are carry on the work of preaching around the whole world. They were eyewitnesses of all the extraordinary events that had happened, and through them, salvation would go out to every part of the earth. Through ordinary men filled by the Holy Spirit, they would go out. And so what do we learn from this record of Jesus' words to his men? Well, I'm just focusing on what it says at the end of this first verse. We learn that Jesus loved them to the end. Right up to the moment he died, Jesus loved his men. Jesus loved them. His hour had come, what he came for, to die for sinners, to save his people from their sins. That was about to happen. He, he would... Uh, only witnessed that, that singular sunrise ahead before he became the curse, before he bore the weight of the eternal wrath of his father upon the cross, right? He, he, would, 
he would become sin and the burning furnace of his father's wrath would, would come straight for him. And he would die and he would be buried, but then resurrection. Right? That's the Christian hope, that resurrection after death. Right? And so John lets us see Jesus, Jesus' heart just before he knows he's about to get undergo a holocaust from his father. These are the words that he says just on the cusp of death, right? Deathbed sort of words from the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, these are the words where the, the last thing before he fulfills this mission given him by the father. Calvin says the synoptic gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke exhibit his body if we may be permitted to use the expression, but John exhibits his soul. We get to look into the heart, look into the soul of what Jesus was thinking, what he was feeling, what he was doing, what, what he was, how he was loving those men. And so how do we see him loving them to the end during these two or three hours in the upper room and further in the night and morning ahead? Well, first thing is this. He serves them. He serves them. He's, he's about to die. He's about to serve them in the most amazing way, which is to act as that propitiation, to become their sin, to take upon his own shoulders what they deserved. And yet he serves them here in these last hours. He's not preoccupied, in a sense, with his coming death. Um, with the coming hardship. And so he just condescends to do the work of a servant and to, to, to do the work of a humble servant. What does he do? He washes their feet, right? The work of a slave. Look at John thirteen three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from suffer, supper, and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. And then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. You know, and, and not only, not only so, so we see his humility in this, right? Doing the work of a servant, laying aside, um, taking a, a humbled position before them, getting up to their feet, which were filthy, right? And washing them, um, making them beautiful, making them presentable. Not only does he serve them, but he exhorts them then to serve one another. That's the main part of the, the, this first, first section. He's giving them an example of what to do before he commands them to do just exactly what he did, right? That's a good way to teach, isn't it? Do it and then have somebody try it. And so he's doing, he's doing that. Look at verses 13. If you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am, if I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. And then, uh, well, keeping going. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. 
and then jumping down to 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so he's, he's being an example of what he commands. Very physically, he's an example of what he commands. Be, and so an application of this is very simple. Be an example of what you command. Right? Be an example of what you command. If you command your daughters to serve others, do you show them how to do so happily? Right? Do you show them how to serve? And actually get credit for it because you're doing it without grumbling and complaining. What about your employees? If you have employees, if you have a business, you want them to work hard for you. Well, you have to show them how to work hard. And then they'll work hard for you, maybe. Maybe. If you exhort others to sexual purity, are you going to be sexually pure yourself? Are you going to try to take thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. You must do that. And so we are to be an example of what we command. In, in 14, uh, at verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus is the example, right? He does works and we are to do works as well. And they will be even greater works, whatever that means. We'll get to that later when we zoom in on that passage. You're to, you're to do great works. He works, you work. He showed you how to do it, you do it. Second of all, so he serves, he serves them. Second, he warns them. This is his deathbed words, right? The first thing he does is serve them. The second thing he does is warns them. And he basically says tough times are ahead. This is going to be really, really hard. This is going to test you. This is going to hurt your bodies. This is going to hurt your minds. Your souls are going to be... Are going to be afflicted. And so look at how many times he, he warns them in this upper room discourse. 1321, he says, when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Okay, warning. One of you is going to betray me. He doesn't say who it is yet. He shortly discloses that. But at, at the outset, he says, one of you will betray me. Verse 38 of 13, Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Speaking to Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. That seems inappropriate on a deathbed confession to draw out Peter's specific sin of betrayal. But he's warning him, which is love. 14.9, Jesus said to him, Have I been, and this is to Philip, Have I been with you... And yet you do not, you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He's, he's taking on Philip's like lack of faith. How can you not know who I am? That would have stayed with Philip, don't you think? He would have recalled that the day after when he's seeing his 
his beloved Savior shedding his blood on the cross? 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Fathers who sent me. Verse 24 of chapter 14. Um, or that's what we just read. 28, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would, ha- you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak with you much more, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. Right? He's saying, I'm going away, and the Spirit's going to come, and it, it is, it, the ruler of the world is going to be at work. Warns them. 15, verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them up and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. 18 to 19, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. And so when they face all kinds of discouragement, right, when everybody is coming at them and saying, you're fools, risen from the dead, you're idiots, then they can recall this verse. And, he's, and, and they were warned, right? They were warned that people would be against them and hostile to them. 16, 1 through 4, these things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling they will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me, but these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Right? I'm going away. I've got to tell you this. And you are going to be outcasts. They're going to kick you out of society. They're going to send you out from their presence. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? 32 to 33 of that chapter, 16. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. You're going to be beaten down. But I've overcome the world. It's okay. Don't forget that. I've gone before you. He's saying, here's what you will face. Here's how to endure. Here's how to rightly think about this furnace that's coming. Because Satan, at those moments, at every one of those moments, is going to take the opportunity to make you and try to make you think that all is lost. That this is over. That Jesus was not who he said he was. And he's just a dead guy. These words of warning are to us as much as they are to the apostles, of course. These are words of warnings to us when everybody is mocking the Christian faith and telling us not to believe what has been written down. 
As soon as you forget these words of the eternal Son of God, if you do not remind yourself of what he said just before departing for heaven, brothers and sisters, if you don't take up these words and remind yourself of what Jesus said to his apostles and through his apostles to you, you will see everything in this life as purely material, just as what's next. You know, just... You'll forget that you are... You will forget that you are the child of a king. And not just any king, the king of kings and the lord of lords. You'll forget it. The most important thing of your lives, you will forget when Satan flicks you, tries to get you to get confused about something so essential. And you know what will happen is if you forget what Jesus has said to you, if you forget these warnings of what it's going to be like, well then you, you, you'll just try to fill the void with all kinds of other messages that give you at least something, but they're really emaciated little messages. They're not eternal. They don't hold any weight, right? Your diet will be the junk food philosophy of this world. And holiness will lose its attraction to you. Remember what Jesus has said, his warnings upon his departure. Now, obvious applications. Do you heed the warnings by remembering the warnings of Jesus? And then do you warn others Is that part of your Christian vocabulary? Fathers, mothers, do you warn your children, right? Or does it always have to be cookies and punch, right? Do you warn them? Fathers, do you warn your children? Pastors, do you warn your flock, right? Um, Husbands, do you warn your wives, This must be done, and in fact, don't buy into the modern myth that love is only affirmation, right? It's only, you can only build up positively. There are times when you have to say, stop, don't go in the road to a child, right? There are times when you have to say, stop, you may not speak like that about that person who has been, who has been sanctified by Jesus Christ. It's gossip. Stop. You know, we must warn one another. We must be given to this. And don't let softness in our culture work against that, okay? Your warnings can be delightfully soft, but they still need to be warnings, okay? Man, you don't have to flex when you're delivering a verbal warning. You can just say words. In fact, your words will carry more weight if you say them fully in control of your spirit. If you say them very coolly. That's something that I've had to learn, right? That's a warning I was given that I needed to heed. So Jesus, he he serves them, he warns them, and then third, he comforts them. I mean, the comfort in this passage... So on the heels of warning, right? 
Warning is this huge thing he gives himself to. And then on the heels of warning, there's always comfort. John 14, think of these words. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would, not have, told, I, I would have told you, for I go to play, prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And do you know where I, the way where I am going? And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the way, trust me. I've got this, right? I've got this. I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. This is glorious. What comfort, right? What joy. You'll be going where I'm going in just hours. You'll be going there. 12 through 14 of that chapter. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I mean, if you ask anything in my name, I'm going to do it. What words, what joy. He's, he's got this assembled group of men around him, kind of not knowing what's going on, knowing that things are coming to a head. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving, but, but you can ask me anything and you'll get it. Do you ever remind yourself that that promise was made to you through the apostles? Before you pray? Or do we qualify it a, a thousand different ways and say, well, prayer with faith and, you know, I mean, and, and you can't ask for this and that and you go all Westminsterian in your deep dive on it and you take away just the face value promise of encouragement that this is. I'm leaving, but you can pray to me and I'll give you what you need every time without fail. I'm going to hear it and you're mine and I'm going to care for you. That's how I'm going to do it. 16 and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go up and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you that you love one another. Right? Your fruit's going to remain. There's going to be fruitfulness that comes through your lives. And, and again, whatever you ask the Father in my name, you get it. It's coming. It's going to come to you. 18. Um, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own because you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. It's wonderful, right? 26. Um, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit, the whole promise of the Comforter is coming. 
right? And peace is coming. And then 1633, this glorious peace, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the midst of all these warnings I've given you, in the midst of the affliction that's coming, don't sweat it. I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to give you peace. In the world you have tribulations, but take courage. (laughs) The world. I've overcome that. I've overcome the world. You You watch the news, right? It's depressing. Christ has overcome all of that. Christ has overcome all that. Christ knows about everything that is laid out by him, okay? Christ knows all of that, and you have overcome that in him, okay? So an application of this, do you remind others, and therefore yourself, of what Jesus Christ has promised them? Do you remind others? One of my daughters, her name starts with an M, came to me, and she's been feeling guilty, and she can't figure out the reason for it. You know, just feeling guilty, feeling weighed down by sins, and um, can't really pinpoint where it's coming from. And I said, well, examine yourself, and some things are sins, some aren't sins, so don't repent for things that aren't sins, repent for things that are sins. And read 1 John 1, if you repent and name your sins before God, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins, right? And so I just had to remind her of that simple truth that God forgives sins. Just remind people of these things. Remind people of the glory of what is promised you by God in His Word. It's really a simple thing, it, but it really means knowing God's Word and, and We forget it so quickly that it probably means you should be in the Word every day so that you can take some nugget with you that you read that morning and just dispense to people. I read this this morning. It should encourage you. It should encourage you. But you also, I mean, that's for other people. You need it for your own soul, right? You need encouragement. And God is shouting at you from the pages of Scripture. You know? hitting you upside the head with verse after verse where he's like, yeah, I've done that. Why are you trying to do it now? (laughs) I've saved you from your sins. You're forgiven. You've been washed as white as snow. Why, Why do you think I would be impressed at these works where you're trying to, like, impress me by your own merit? They're filthy. I like Christ's merit, and I've given that to you. You know? Remind one another of these things, right? And be better than the reminders you, you receive from every other talking head on the planet. And then finally, so he serves, he warns, he comforts, and he prays. He prays for his children. And that's John 17. Picking up at verse 6, listen to this prayer. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. 
I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have, kept, I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. And I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So you see there the sweetness of this prayer, his, his protecting of them, his knowing that everything is about to change, that he's leaving, and he lays this prayer before the Father, I've been keeping them, but, but keep them now, Father. I've been keeping them, Holy Spirit. Now keep them, do what I've been doing, right? Do what I've been doing physically present. And so we see him praying fervently for these men praying before his Father. And so the love of Christ to the end, that, that one verse we're looking at and sort of expounding, going back to verse 1 of 13. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The love of Christ to the end is demonstrated by the fact that he served these men, he warned these men, Right? He comforted these men and he prayed for these men. If we want to do, I mean, this is the work that we must do in imitation of Christ as friends. Think of your friends. When was the last time you worked through all of these with a friend? praying for them, warning them, comforting them, serving them. That would be a good friend, wouldn't it? I mean, some people think friendship is only based upon affirmation. And that's just a lie of the devil, right? You should never affirm anybody in their impiety, in their sin, right? And friendships often become that. But a good friend is, a good friendship is cemented by piety, and so it would be warnings, and comforts, and prayers, and service. That's a good friend, right? And that's a good pastor, and that's a good father, and that's a good mother, that's a good church member, that's a good sister, that's a good brother, right? I mean, break out of yourself for a moment. 
People are suffering around you. They need your help. Right? And we're, we just have this self-centered vortex around us that's like, yeah, I'll help them on my terms. That's me. I'll help them on my terms if, you know, if I can work it in. Serve, warn, comfort, pray. As Christ did, leaving us an example, fulfilling all righteousness that we might be uh, fruitful in following him. He did it on behalf of your souls and your salvation. We do it as a thank offering to his glorious work to one another. Think about this question. Has, Has knowing Christ made a difference in your life? Has knowing Christ made you a serving, warning, comforting, praying lover of souls? I mean, it does lead to some pretty painful self-examination, I would think. It does in my own heart. Right? Has knowing Christ made you a serving, warning, comforting, praying lover of souls? Right? Look at John 3, John 13, 17. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. That's where I'll leave off. If you know these things, you are blessed. You will know the blessings of God. You will will know the joy of the Holy Spirit. Right? You will be filled up. You will be happy in the Lord if you do these things as Christ laid them out before you. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So often we just wait for, we, we just wait and wait and wait and wait and we want a sign from heaven before we'll serve somebody. But a sign from heaven will not be given you. Right? A sign from heaven has been given to you. It's here. And if you want to be happy, Serve, warn, comfort, pray, all those around you. Love as Christ loved is essentially what I'm saying. Love as Christ loved even to the end of your days. Amen?